Hey, thanks for checking out the weekly podcast from Chattanooga Valley Baptist Church. We hope you found this episode to be challenging and encouraging. Now, let's turn our attention to this week's sermon from Pastor Brian Carroll. Today, I'm in a Facebook group with some pastors all across the country. There's several, couple of hundred of us, and the uh, the question yesterday that got the most excitement was, "Are you preaching what you were going to preach, or are you going to change what you're going to preach?" And it was mixed. It was a mixed message. Some people were some people were simply taking time in their church together for prayer which we're actually going to do at the end of our service today. So, so, so that certainly is something we, we took into consideration. Uh, a lot of guys that, uh, that posted were, were preaching a, a uh, sermon dri- driven tip- uh, completely by this, uh, this virus. Uh, one, one comedian in the group said, said, if your sermon title is not Thou Shalt Not COVID tomorrow, then are you really a preacher? Uh, so we got a chuckle out of that. Uh, it's interesting, though, that, uh, you know, sometimes when you're preaching through a series or preaching through a book, it's interesting how the Lord can, uh, can sometimes take what you're already anticipating to preach and, and really make that applicable to situations and events that are transpiring. Um, I, I, it's one of the reasons I like to plan ahead so that when there's a bump in the road, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's not always a question of, well, what am I going to say? And as we were thinking about this sermon this morning, um, one of the interesting things that, that came to mind is the fact that, that it's exactly what we need to hear on a day like today. We have been walking through this, this series talking about the, the most important verses in the Bible that help us to understand the grand scheme of the biblical story. One of the themes in the book of Genesis, as we have discovered, is the, the less than stellar character of all of its human actors. When we consider the patriarchs, their, their, lifestyles, their lifestyles were more becoming of a soap opera rather than people that we would expect to be faithful, uh, faithful men of God. Uh, Abraham, we of course know, lied to save his own skin. Then we have this weird relationship with Hagar that uh, that was sanctioned by his wife. I'm gonna the, the story of Hagar sounds more like something that that would be in today's kind of confused culture, honestly, than something you read about in the Bible. Isaac, of course, followed in his father's footsteps in so many ways. His home was less than functional. Jacob, well, Jacob's name means deceiver. And so when your name means deceiver, you can almost expect that he's going to have an interesting story. He had four wives. He was manipulative. He, he of course, picked favorites in his family. The only patriarch that seemed to have a, a reasonably good set of morals was Joseph. But poor Joseph, look what he had to go through to get there. You know, he, he definitely didn't walk down easy street to get to his situation. Well, last week we talked about Abraham as, as he was God's choice to carry on that Genesis 3.15 promise. Abraham, of course, he didn't have the resources to contribute to, to God's plan. So God chose him, not on the basis of what he had to offer, not on the basis of what he had to contribute. God chose him on the basis of his willingness to be obedient, his willingness to trust. And one of those key moments in Abraham's story, we didn't talk about it last week, but it's actually over in Genesis chapter 15. If you remember this story, you see God formalizing his covenant with Abraham. 
for us, it's a very strange passage. It's where Abraham is told to gather those animals and cut them in half and, and lay them opposite sides of one another. And in doing so, he creates a path between those pieces. And this was a way of formalizing a covenant. I'm glad that for us, we just have to sign on a dotted line. It's a whole lot cleaner than what Abraham had to do. But he creates this path, and, and the way the covenant would work is, is the individuals who were privy to the, to the covenant, who were privy to the partnership, would pass between those severed animals. And what they were communicating is that, is that if we break our, the terms of the covenant, if we fail to keep our end of the bargain, then the consequence of that is that I'm going to end up like this animal. And so no one wanted to end up like a severed animal on the ground, and so there was incentive to, to keep the promise. And both parties would pass through that, that, that sacrifice. However, Abraham was asleep when God passed through the sacrifice. And what that implies is that now God would be keeping both sides of the bargain. That God was keeping both sides of that covenant agreement. And so now we are tracking this divine promise from Genesis 3.15 through a family led by Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And so now we have to anticipate that there is a child of Eve coming from this family that will crush the head of the serpent. When we get to Jacob, we're left with finally a, a very serious question. Which son will carry on the promise? Which son will be the one to, to carry forth this promises from Genesis chapter 3.15? Well, at first glance, it seems Joseph is the only right answer. I mean, Joseph had it together. Joseph wasn't, wasn't uh, morally suspect. Joseph was the, was, was the one that God set aside as the Redeemer. Joseph would become the one who would, who would save his entire family based on his role in the story. But instead, that's exactly the only thing, part of his role that matters. He was a deliverer. He was there to be the one who would save this family with whom God had entered into covenant for. It was, he was the one that God raised up to save his brothers. Now, Joseph certainly points us to Christ as one who would save others. Of course, he's a picture of who Jesus would become. But when we think about the promise of Genesis 3.15, Joseph is not the one that would lead to the promised serpent crusher. You might be inclined to think about Reuben. Reuben, after all, was the firstborn. He makes sense beyond Joseph. But the thing is, is it's going to take you a while to get to the one that God chose. It's going to take you a minute of working through the brothers to get to the one chose because the one God chose was Judah. Now, why is that strange? Well, because Judah was Judah's outspoken as being one of the less uh, morally scrupulous brothers. He, of course, had the idea to make money off Joseph. You know, let's sell him. You know, let's not just kill him. Let's sell him. Let's make some money off of him. So Judah's a, Judah's a human trafficker. Uh, you know, he, he's not the most classy individual in the whole Bible. Judah may have had some of the most moral, the, the most offensive moral infractions in the book of Genesis as, as he went about his life. But I think the Bible gives us a picture of Judah's failure to teach us something about God's incredible grace. So if you've got your Bibles today, I would encourage you to open to the book of Genesis, the 49th chapter. If you found your place, I would ask you to stand in reverence to the reading of God's Word from Genesis chapter 49, beginning in verse 8. Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. 
He stooped down. He crouched as a lion, as a lioness who dares rouse him. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him. And to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Binding his foal to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine, he has washed his garments in wine and his vesture in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine, his teeth whiter than milk. God, I thank you for the promise of royalty in Judah's line. Lord, as we look to King Jesus today to help us in our plight, we thank you for the promise that that king would come through Judah and for the implication for that for us today. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. As we go back and consider where we've come from, one of the things that we need to understand is that Adam and Eve were a king and queen of sorts. Though it's certainly not a title that they are given, we recognize that by their role that they are royalty in a sense. They were created in God's image, and they were given clear instructions that they were to rule over creation. The words used is stewardship, that they were to exercise dominion over creation. The responsibility of that stewardship, the responsibility of that dominion, is that they were to be faithful managers, faithful rulers over creation. Now, of course, we know, we talked about this a few weeks ago, they disgraced their rule by abandoning their commission. But that does not negate their original intent. And it's taken many generations removed from Adam before God's people would get an earthly king. But it doesn't change the fact that God uses that language of royalty to set the stage for the future. Here in Genesis 49, Jacob is nearing his own death. He's called his sons together to offer a final blessing on them. And each son is blessed in his own unique way. And lots of time and ink has been spilt understanding the blessing that's given to each son. However, when it comes to Judah, Judah is blessed with the language of royalty. Judah is blessed using the language of royalty. Now, this may have come as a bit of a surprise. Since Joseph was the one who'd had dreams of his brothers bowing down in subjugation to him. But keep in mind, Joseph's role was fulfilled. He was a deliverer. He was there to rescue his brothers. That was his role. Judah's role in the story is much longer in its effect. Now, it's critical that we understand exactly what's going on here. Adam and Eve failed in their royal commission, injecting sin into the human race. However, God promised a son that would bring ultimate justice against the serpent. That seed is tracked through Abraham, through the covenant God made with Abraham. And part of the covenant that God made with Abraham is that he would be a blessing to all the nations of the earth. We talked about the fact that the greatest blessing that Adam and Eve had was not the property. The greatest blessing that Adam and Eve had was the presence of God, that they daily walked in the presence of God. And so if Abraham is to be a blessing to all the peoples of the earth, if Abraham is to bring this great blessing to all the nations, that there would be this righteous rule of God's perfect kingdom over all the earth. It should not surprise us that there is a royal decree here, a royal line through one of Abraham's sons. And it's through the line of Judah that God was going to satisfy his promise to Abraham to bless the nations by allowing a future king to establish the kingdom 
over all creation. You see what God is doing? He is preparing the people for a kingdom that will rule over all to restore what was intended in the Garden of Eden. I love that Jacob hints at a lion in Judah's lineage. He uses that, that word there. He talks about uh, there in verse 8 that Judah is a lion's cub. He points to a future lion. It's interesting that over in the last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 5, verse 5, that the only one who was worthy to open the scrolls was who? The lion of the tribe of Judah. So understand this. The one who would bring the blessing of Abraham to the ends of the earth, the one who would establish the kingdom of God over all creation, is none other but the lion of the tribe of Judah, who is the Lord Jesus Christ, who the prophet Isaiah declares him to be King of kings and Lord of lords. And we see that first hinted at right here in this royal promise associated with Judah, the awkward son of Jacob. You know, today we are tested with this question. Do we believe that Jesus is king? I think that all of us are having to answer that question today. Do we truly believe that Jesus is king? The news today challenges us and begs us to answer. In light of plagues and wars and hardships, do we truly believe that Jesus is the king that he says he is? I would say this, if we truly believe that Jesus is king, then we do not allow fear to control us. If we truly believe that Jesus is king, we act in wisdom, we act in prudence. The Bible says if any of you lacks wisdom, ask. But we do not act in fear. And while a world deals with the uncertainty of tomorrow, listen church, we know who holds tomorrow. It's King Jesus. It's King Jesus. And the entire storyline of the Bible leads us to this king. And this king is still about establishing his rule and his reign over all of creation. And he has called the church of the Lord Jesus Christ to be the ones who would take that blessing to the nations. I firmly believe this with all my heart, that this season in which we gather today, this season is exactly where the church was built to thrive. I really do believe that. Now, we don't necessarily thrive in the way that we once thought we did. You know, it's interesting that, that in our culture of Christianity today, we've defined thriving in a, in a particular way. We've defined thriving as full sanctuaries and big budgets. That if the church has those two things, then, then the church is, is doing well. I'm going to say that even two weeks ago, we thought thriving was full sanctuaries and big budgets. Can I say today that I don't think that's how the church thrives? While we certainly celebrate the, those accomplishments, we certainly celebrate when God does those things, but we gather here today, and 
it's, it's interesting in this moment, there are perhaps more people watching at home on their televisions in front of their smartphone than there are people gathered in this room this morning. It's interesting today. If Jesus is king, then we don't fret. We don't fear. If Jesus is king, we work to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we work to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. If Jesus is king, we don't fret. If Jesus is king, then we work to protect the most vulnerable sheep in the flock. And we take this time, this season, for however long it lasts, to continue the blessing of Abraham on our neighbors. It may be that, that we're not able to bless our neighbors in other countries or other states for a time such as this, but we certainly have neighbors on our street and neighbors in our cul-de-sacs and neighbors down the road that we can bring the blessings of Abraham to because we are the church, we don't go to church. This morning, if Jesus is king, then we declare before a watching world that we are not afraid because we serve an almighty king, and we bow before him. If we truly believe the words of the songs that we've sang this morning, Foster, thank you for those songs today. If we truly believe that, if we truly believe King Jesus, then it affects how we go about our life tomorrow and the next day and the next day. As we conclude our gathering this morning, we do so with the recognition that this might be, I emphasize the word might, this might be our last face-to-face -face gathering for a season. A lot of churches chose to cancel today. I wasn't ready to do it because I feel like that as a church, we need to acknowledge that. That could be the case. We've got a meeting in the morning as staff to figure out what this week looks like and what the next week looks like. But we understand that many churches right now are are meeting online, they've chose to suspend their worship services for a season, and we certainly understand why. No decisions have, made, have been made beyond dinner on Wednesday, so just so everybody knows, we hadn't got there yet. Uh, Young at Heart's not meeting Tuesday, by the way, so just, just keep that in mind. But we hadn't got to anything past Wednesday at dinner. We're not having dinner on Wednesday night. We understand that if what they tell us is true, then the best way to combat this illness is not to put a whole bunch of people in a room together, if that's what is true. But regardless of what these next few weeks hold, I think that this is a good time for us to consider what it means to be the church rather than go to church. Based on what we know, there are certain populations who are at greater risk of this particular virus. Anybody can catch the disease, but certain demographics are more susceptible to very serious complications. As we consider what it means to be the church, we need to make sure that the most vulnerable in our body are kept safe and that we as the church work to meet their needs. It should be our goal that no one in this body, no one as part of Chattanooga Valley Baptist Church goes a week without a phone call from somebody else. In the event that we're not able to gather, the church still functions. And the church is not the people who work here. The church is all of us working together. And so nobody should go a week without getting checked in on from somebody in their Sunday school class, from a deacon. No one should go a week without hearing from somebody in our church. And that's all of our goals. That's not just, well, who's going to be in charge of that? Well, take charge of it. 
Call the people that are in your class. Check in on them. Send emails. Communicate. Stay in touch, even if we aren't able to as a body. Likewise, if you're a senior adult and you have need for groceries, if you need prescriptions picked up, if you need any, any help to keep you out of areas of public spaces, you need to call the church and help us help you meet that need. Uh, I heard uh, another pastor who called his, uh, who, who was looking for care drivers. A care driver is somebody that their job in the next few weeks is to simply run errands for folks. And what a blessing for the church if, if forget Grubhub, forget Instacart, forget all those delivery services. What if Chattanooga Valley Baptist Church was the delivery service? You need groceries, you call us up and we'll help you make sure you've got groceries on your doorstep when you need them. Uh, we'll help meet that need. Let's, let's work together to serve one another. I, don't, I mean, there are people in our church, listen, they got no business going out in public right now. They have no business going out in public, and if we can help keep them from having to do that, then that shows a watching world that we believe Jesus is king, and we serve him to the nth degree. Now, we may meet that need by leaving it on your front porch and waving from the driveway. But I'm of the firm conviction that no vulnerable person in our church should have to go to the grocery store until this season has passed. I really believe that with all my heart. Our pastoral care will look necessarily different right now. Hospitals, nursing homes, all those things have imposed visitation restrictions. I couldn't get to the hospital and pray for you if I wanted to right now. And honestly, I deal with the public. You don't want me to come pray for you right now. Pastor, a phone call will do just fine. And so that's what we're going to have to do. If you've got surgery on Tuesday, expect a phone call on Monday as we pray together before that event because we can't go to the hospital right now, nor should we. We'll be using the telephone a lot more. In-home visits need to be suspended for a little bit, just out of an abundance of caution and wisdom, not out of fear. During this season, we may be called upon to help feeding children. It's no secret that many in our community are better off at school than they are at home. I was in a conference call with Walker County Schools on Friday morning, and the sentiment was one of great frustration because our school officials understand that school breakfast and school lunch are the best meals that a lot of kids get. And that, that hurts on lo lots of levels. It hurts that we've allowed that to happen, that we've, allowed, we've gotten to a place to where we allow our public schools to be the feeding, uh, the, the feeding trough for, for underprivileged kids. That, that hurts that we've allowed that to happen. But it may very well be that the most effective ministry we have in the next few weeks is figuring out how we can help the schools deliver food to these kids who need food. Uh, and so if we put the call out that we need some care drivers to go by Ridgeland High School where they're preparing meals and we work to deliver those meals to kids during the week, then I got news for it. We ought to have more people ready to go than, than they ought to be surprised at the number of folks who are willing to take food to kids. Now again, we're not going in their home, we're not coughing and kissing and hugging and all that stuff. We're going to set it on the front porch and we're going to say we love you in Jesus' name and we are going to pray for them, but we're going to do it with wisdom and care if that's something that we are called upon to do. There's no greater testimony than the, that to the community for, for the church bringing food to some of our poorest of neighbors. And if we can partner with our school officials to help meet that need, then we're going to do everything we can to help make sure that happens. And I firmly believe this, there has never been a better time for a crisis like this to take place. Our church is better situated today than ever before to maintain a very real presence in our community regardless of what the next few weeks hold. 
If we do have to suspend our public gatherings, we will take our gatherings online. We will continue to have live worship services. I will begin posting Bible studies on Wednesday night and Sunday evening when, when we have that opportunity. If you as a church member have not logged into Realm, this is a wonderful opportunity for you to be reminded to do that because that is our primary means of communication right now. If you have a need, if you need help, you can call the church office, and all of our church staff are equipped to be able to not have to work from their desk. Every one of us can, our, the, our phones are attached to our cell phones, and so you can call Connie. We can send Connie home to work. Where's Connie at? We can send Connie home to work, and when you call 820-1911, Connie can be sitting in her pajamas and answer the phone and reach any single one of us right now. We've never been able to do this before. Uh, the last year, we've seen so many technological improvements as a church body that we've never, this could have never happened like this in a time and place as it is today. If you haven't gotten an email from me in the last couple of days, you need to call us tomorrow because I've sent out lots of emails. Some of y'all are like, please stop sending emails. We almost sent another one last night because there's a Uganda team meeting that's supposed to happen today. You'll get another email about that. They're not meeting today. And I said, let's not send another email, okay? If you have not gotten an email from me in the last three days, then you are, you are not, we, we have something wrong in our system and we need you to call us first thing Monday morning. Connie will be in the office. She won't be in her pajamas yet. But we need you to call us to make sure we get this fixed, okay? We are, we have, that's how we're, primarily how we're communicating. You need to check your spam folder to make sure that you are getting the information. Our church has now the ability to do all of our committee meetings through video conferencing. Uh, in this season, there's no, we don't have to have face-to-face -face committee meetings. Isn't that a blessing? Uh, you can do committee meetings at home in your pajamas. And as I said, all of our church staff is equipped to work remotely if need be. We can plug our desk phones literally anywhere in the world, and you can call us by reaching our extensions as also our cell phones are tied to the church office. All this needs to be said. The church will continue to function, and it will be important that the church have the financial resources to do so. And so your financial support is of utmost importance during this season. As I said, during our offering, you may give electronically, you, you may give, mail gifts in. There are some of our senior adults that do not have access to these tools, and we need to be mindful of them as well. Perhaps it would be helpful for you to invite them over to your home on a Sunday morning to watch on your television if they do not have access. If we send out an email, you may want to consider adopting one of these senior adults and sharing the content of that email with them. So let's be sure that we don't neglect the people in our church who are not plugged in. And I firmly believe this with all my heart, the church will be stronger when this season passes. The church will be stronger when this season passes. This is requiring us all to truly evaluate what matters. And my prayer is that when we get through this, <laughs> I hope we got a ton of folks to baptize because the church has been scattered for a season. It occurred to me this morning that gathered together, this, this virus spreads. When we bunch up, they tell us that's how this, this virus spreads. But when the church is scattered, that's how the gospel spreads. Most of the time on Sunday morning, we preach the gospel. I'm preaching to a home, a home team. 
Um, we know there's non-believers here, but the overwhelming majority of folks who are here on a Sunday morning are people who are going to go to heaven when they die. They love Jesus, and, and uh, they're going to get to heaven and, and be surprised at who all's there. However, those folks who need the gospel are not the ones here on Sunday morning. They're out doing their thing, mowing their lawn, living their life. And so if for a season God scatters his church into our neighborhoods and into our communities, then it is a, an incredible opportunity, a time like no other, for the church to see those gospel seeds sown far beyond the boundaries of our property here at 90 Nickajack Lane. So we understand that the virus spreads as we gather, but the gospel spreads as we scatter. And so on the day that the crisis subsides and the church of the Lord Jesus Christ gathers back together in all of her glory, I pray that we do, and we've got to line down the back stairwell of people who've given their life to Christ in the middle of all this because of this church's witness to its community. I hope you'll join me in that prayer, but I hope you'll do more than just join me in the prayer, but that you'll join me in the work of making sure that our neighbors know that even in the worst of times, that there is a king and there is a kingdom. And his name is the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you believe today that he's the king? If we do, let's get to work serving our king. Thanks for listening. If you would like more information about Chattanooga Valley Baptist, check us out on the web at cvbchurch.org. If you would like to join in person, we worship every Sunday morning at 1045. We're just minutes from downtown Chattanooga. We hope to see you soon.